investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamachko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, investors, to episode 65 of the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. And I'm Mike Kesslering. Today is Friday, May 1st, 2020. A number of interesting events that happened in the market this week. We're going to provide you with uh, some interesting insights off the top. The equity financing window opened back up with a $200 million bought deal from Boyd Group to finance an aggressive acquisition spree. In addition... Over 800 million of SPAC IPOs closed this week. Is the market signaling all clear with respect to this coronavirus bear market? Mergers reemerge as Silvercorp announces 105 million acquisition of Guyana Goldfields. Are more deals to come? Lastly, Short Seller launches an attack against merger target for Scout Technologies. Does this report have merit? So I wanted to touch on what's been happening on the equity financing side in the market over the past week and a positive sign that market participants are regaining confidence and risk appetite. Auto Body Shop Consolidator and one of my personal faves, Boyd Group Services, which trades on the TSX under ticker BYD, and that's a $200 million bought deal equity financing. Now, Boyd Group, they're a consolidator of auto body shops in North America. Uh, We are long the stock, so some disclosure there in one of our long short strategies. I've been a shareholder of this company for many, many years. Fun fact, it's been one of the best performing stock since 2009. It hit something like three or four bucks back then, and it's uh, closer to 200 bucks per share. So compounded at an extremely high rate, well north of 20% annualized for over a decade. So one of the best performing stocks on the TSX. And what makes this deal unique is it's cashing up Boyd Group to go on an aggressive acquisition spree, which they really specialize in. This isn't what we've seen over the past month or so, some bailout financing, rescue, distress type financing. This is for Boyd to go out on the offensive. And so this was a 200 million bot deal equity financing done at a pretty slim discount to the last close. I believe it was priced a tight discount, roughly 2%. And the day uh, when it got announced, and closed. Um, The stock actually traded up. Typically, you see stocks trade down on financings. And this was in a especially tough tape as well. The market kind of was under pressure this week. But Boyd Group traded up on the news of the deal. And so this is just indicative of uh, tremendous demand for it. Um, So that is something that investors should note is that investors' confidence is coming back. Risk appetite is coming back after we've gone through this really, really tough March. You had the whole coronavirus pandemic bear market. S&P 500 dropped 35% peak to trough, TSX down 38 So really, really tough market for investors. Did have a bit of a bounce back in April and May is off to a bit of a rough start. But we have seen other financings as well, some smaller financings. This Boyd deal was the largest 
Canadian equity financing completed since the coronavirus pandemic emerged. However, we have seen a number of smaller financings in recent weeks, including two $20 million bought deals by group benefits provider PeopleCorp and supply and chain software firm Texas Inc. We did see two precious metals deals, I believe $20 million for Victoria Gold. And I believe Blue Nose did something around an $80 million deal as well. So you're seeing green shoots within the equity financing space uh, in the special purpose acquisition space, which was really dead for about a month until last week we saw Social Capital 3 uh, do a massive IPO. I mean, north of 700 million, which we talked about on last week's podcast episode. Well, this week we saw three additional SPAC IPOs close. So that equity window, that IPO window has bursted wide open. Three deals raised over 800 million in aggregate. And these were generally by, I'd consider top sponsors. One of them was by Fortress, which is a large uh, alternative asset manager actually owned by SoftBank. Another social capital deal. So this was a number two uh, social capital ahead of Sophia, which was supposed to launch on March 16th, which then they delayed because March 16th was one of the worst days for the equity markets in history. So they did end up delaying it, getting it done at the end of April. And the last one, which actually IPO'd today, is a uh, cannabis-focused SPAC founded by Bruce Linton, and he is the notorious uh, founder and former CEO of Canopy Growth, one of the largest players and one of the largest innovators in the in the cannabis space. So certainly some very good green shoots to see here in the market. As you're seeing risk appetite come back in, uh, a number of equity financings and, and IPOs starting to close. So we're starting to see a lot of conditions sort of normalize after this big panic attack that we went through in March. What do you what are your thoughts on these uh, recent equity financings and, and what do you think they indicate? No, it's really nice to see. I mean, those equity capital markets, investment bankers, they have to eat, right? Um, so I mean, uh, but no, it, it is very good to see. Uh, specifically, I mean, you'd first mentioned Boyd Group and then the SPACs. And I mean, really, it's just with, with, with specific to the Boyd Group, it's the market just saying they believe in Boyd's management team's ability to create value through their acquisition uh, plan, which which does make sense historically. As you had mentioned, it's been a very strong performing stock. Um, along with you now taking into account the issu- issuances with SPACs, is it's really saying that yes, equity markets are open for players that are looking at you know, consolidation, basically. So looking to be a bit aggressive in what market participants view as low valuations currently. So that that does make sense as well. One thing that I would like to mention just with regards to SPACs is the chatter that I've been seeing among VCs, uh, both, you know, in on Twitter, as well as some other sources are Really, kind of SPACs after social capital, they're them kind of coming back into vogue, where it's viewed as a pretty efficient way to go public for portfolio companies, especially right now, as some of these startups, especially in the consumer space and areas such as that, where maybe equity capital markets aren't quite as open. Well, looking at a SPAC, there's typically a couple hundred million dollars of cash on the balance sheet that is able to be used by the the company after the completion of a transaction with a SPAC. And so it's it's a way to bring in cash, an inflow of cash, 
onto the balance sheet uh, and viewed by a few participants in the VC space as an alternative to direct listings, which Bill Gurley, we've talked about um, whether whether direct listings were going to overtake the traditional IPO process. And it really is just another alternative, which also does bring in cash in the door for companies. Yeah, it's an interesting structure. And we love SPACs just because they provide interesting arbitrage opportunities. The other thing to note with respect to financings is that uh, I read a stat showing uh, so far um, 60% of the financings in the U.S. were via convertible bonds. And and there is this notion of uh, increased volatility, uh, making those kind of more valuable, um, not to mention more downside protection. Uh, so that's uh, another interesting aspect because historically, I believe around 18% of financings are via convertible bonds. And now we're seeing them as high as 60%. Probably a temporary phenomenon, but that's something to note. Nonetheless, does this signal an all clear? I mean, not yet. The VIX is still quite high, north of north of thirty five, which is um, you know any any VIX above thirty. There's still a lot of fear in the market, a lot of choppiness. I believe uh, markets are down kind of two to three percent uh, today. So still investors a bit squirrely, but it is great to see that the equity window is back open. And another window that opened back up is the M&A window. What happened this week was after uh, a bit of a drought, we saw the only M&A deal announced in all of April uh, this week when Silvercourt Metals announced a friendly acquisition of Guyana Goldfields in a cash and share transaction worth $105 million. So a small cap deal, not big. We do got to disclose on this one. We also have a position in the merger arbitrage spread. So long Guyana, short Silvercorp. We do have that position on for disclosure purposes. Wanted to touch on the strategic rationale behind this deal. This deal diversifies Silvercorp's assets base by combining its two underground silver mining operations in China with Guyana Goldfield's Aurora Gold Mining operation in Guyana. So really just trying to diversify their asset base, diversify uh, their products among silver and gold production. Uh, Interesting to note that since the coronavirus pandemic and uh, resulting bear market really commenced late February, there's only been three publicly announced mergers in Canada Uh, since late February, and all three have been in the precious metals sector. So it kind of gives you a sense of uh, where corporate confidence lies, CEO confidence, really only in the precious metal space because you have a very good macro backdrop for the price of precious metals. You have CEOs from uh, gold and silver companies willing to do deals. The other thing that I should note is these three deals, if we look at uh, Endeavor's acquisition of Semifo, Argonaut's acquisition of Alio Gold, and lastly, Silvercorp's acquisition of Guyana, all of these were share deals or mostly share deals. And we'll get into how Silvercorp structured. There is a cash option, but at this point, the shares are more valuable. So all three of those deals are all share deals. So that's on a relative basis. It's much easier to do an all share deal as opposed to including some cash in a bear market like we are in now. So getting into details of this Guyana Goldfields deal, uh, shareholders will have the option to receive 60 cents in cash or 0.1195 shares uh, of Silver Corp for each Guyana Goldfield shares held subject to a maximum cash consideration of 33.2 million so basically this uh, offers cash however it is prorated and on the share consideration side it is not prorated which 
creates this interesting um, additional consideration or additional value for merger arbitragers. And most people don't know about this. So it's kind of a little trick that uh, ARBs have up their sleeve that's called uh, election optionality. It's this additional value that you can harvest from this deal because say Silver Corp's shares go up a lot, you're going to elect the all share consideration, right? Because the cash doesn't change in value, the sh- shares do change in value. So you will elect in two, two months when this deal is about to close, you can elect the all share consideration. But say Silver Corp shares decline quite a bit, you're actually going to select the all cash portion. Now, other people are smart, they're going to want to elect cash as well. But typically, you get uh, a good allotment on that. So there is a bit of uh, optionality within that. If the stock tanks a lot, you can um, cushion the blow of the downside. So you'll be fully hedged. And as Silver Corp shares decline, you'll make more money off the deal because you can actually increase the value of the consideration by selecting the cash consideration. So there's some interesting proration optionality, some uh, additional value for arbitragers, an advanced uh, arbitrage technique for you on that one. Nonetheless, more details on this transaction. Pro forma, Guyana Goldfield shareholders will own 7.1% of Silver Corp shares. And that's a good number because it's under the threshold such that Silver Corp does not need to have its own shareholder vote, which is a key consideration, a key risk that we always want to stay away from. So this one is safe and sound from the buy side vote risk that we're always concerned about. Lastly, I got a quote from the Silver Corp CEO on why they're doing this deal. He indicated, we believe this is a rare opportunity to leverage our underground mining expertise and strong balance sheet to unlock value for all shareholders through the development of the Aurora Underground Project, as well as aggressive exploration programs in a proven gold district. So there you have it. Really, Silver Corp sees this as a underappreciated asset and one that they can harvest additional value that the current uh, management team cannot harvest. What do you think on this one? Do you think more deals are, are to come? Yeah, first, just to get back a little bit on what you had discussed about kind of some of the techniques that uh, first you had pointed out and really described in a in a good fashion, the, the upside optionality with, with proration, but as well with cash proration, uh, another thing that arbitragers will analyze is they'll make an estimate of what the proration uh, prorated percentage of cash would be. Uh, you know, if you elect 100% cash, you're unlikely to get 100% cash in that situation. But what you'll do is is make an estimate of what percentage of cash you'll get, whether that be 40 or 50% of the cash in allotted. And so what you would basically do is look at comparable transactions, see historically where deals have come come in in terms of proration, as well as you can look at some of the trading flows to see any insights in terms of if there's many other ARBs that are getting into the name uh, that might give you an indication on higher or lower um, the, the percentage that you'll be allotted. But I just thought I would add that as well. But specific to this deal too, is what I think I found most interesting about the Silver Corp um, acquisition was that it came out in the Financial Post today, I believe it was, that they conducted the entirety of their due diligence online. And you know, typically in a merger or acquisition, 
especially mine acquisitions, it involves a lot of mine visits, inspecting the geology of the mine in person. You want to get your ge- engineers and geologists, um, you know, boots on the ground approach, as well as speaking with some of the workers at the uh at the relevant mines. Uh, but I thought it was very interesting that they did a virtual tour of the mines. And as well, they met with the management team exclusively through Zoom. So it, you know, it's really just MA in the area, in the era of COVID, uh, where, you know, in speaking with some venture capitalists, they've they've spoken about how their their deal volume and their deal flow has really gone down because they're not able to meet a founder and, you know, shake their hand, meet them in person and see their facilities. You know, this is a creative way that in a in a very, you know, in a quite a large deal here, for, you know, in comparison to the venture capital space, uh, you know, a relatively small deal deal by uh, public market standards, but they were still able to get this deal done. You know, looking at Guyana, uh, the gold fields, they're down, you know, I believe it's over 80% uh, in the last two years. So there has been a significant amount of value destruction. Um, Silver Corp likely was already at least a little bit familiar um, with their actual operations, but it, it was interesting to follow. And I would like to point out as well in terms of uh, the M&A market. Now, this was a deal that was previously announced a, a long time ago, but did end up closing on Wednesday was Calgary-based TC Energy. They completed the sale of two natural gas power plants in Ontario for, in Ontario for about $2.8 billion. So, I mean, that's just another example of, you know, deals still are closing in this environment. And uh, it's been very interesting to follow. Yeah, we did see a couple deals close this week. Uh, NVIDIA's $6.9 billion acquisition of Mellanox on Monday. Today, you had the United Bank shares acquisition of Carolina Financial. That was a $1.1 billion deal. Uh, So deals, as you indicated, are closing. The other thing is you mentioned this new environment where acquirers are basically needing to do virtual due diligence, which will be interesting to see if that will continue. And it's interesting to take a look at the M&A environment, obviously, over the past uh, six weeks or so with this coronavirus bear market, that there has been a bit of a drought in M&A activity, which is way down. And you got to think, is that due to the bear market and people, uh, managements are kind of uh, battening down the hatches, not wanting to do uh, M&A? Or is it due to the fact that they can't travel, they can't do on-site due diligence and things of that nature? Perhaps it's a combination of both. However, with this deal, Silvercorp's acquisition of Guyana, two things to note, the election optionality, the ability to elect either shares or cash as Silvercorp's shares move. So that is some additional value that can be captured by merge arbitragers if Silvercorp stock declines markedly. You have a bit of a synthetic put there with the ability to elect cash. The other would be the proration optionality, which basically indicates that if Silvercorp shares do decline quite a bit and you elect cash, perhaps you could get more than you expect just given some people either don't elect because they're, whether it be lazy or they're just not paying attention or they have tax, uh, you know, they want to elect shares for tax purposes, you can actually get a higher than expected fill on your cash. 
and get uh, additional value out of the merger from that uh, sense. It all depends on what the default consideration, what the default election is. That would be disclosed in the arrangement agreement, which for this deal has not come out yet on CDAR, so we are looking for that. But really good to see an M&A deal in this environment, especially in an environment where they can't do any on-site due diligence given travel restrictions and people working from home. Last topic we wanted to touch on today, activist short seller Spruce Point Capital. They released a short thesis on an M&A target. We're continuing with that M&A theme here for Scout Technologies, which is currently set to be acquired by buyout firm Advent International in a friendly all cash $1.9 billion deal. And I got to disclose on this one, we do have a position here. So take uh, that uh, into account. The crux of this short seller's report, the Spruce Point Capital report, indicates that the major argument is that the market has gone down and therefore the acquirer overpaid for this acquisition and should either terminate the deal or pursue a reduction in the consideration paid. And this argument really just doesn't hold water. And here's why. Unfortunately for the short seller, an acquirer cannot negotiate for a lower price after the target company shareholders have voted on the deal. And in this transaction, Forescout shareholders already voted and approved the acquisition on April 23rd. So the parties can't renegotiate that price. That ship has sailed. That no long that option is no longer available. The other is an acquirer just can't readily walk away from a definitive agreement if they have buyer's remorse. If all deal conditions are satisfied, they must close. And we've seen in the past, if they're not willing to close, they'll get taken to court, uh, they get sued, and the court forces them to close. There's this provision called specific performance, which can basically force the acquirer to close. It reminds me of that scenario that we talked about uh, the other week on the podcast with respect to crude oil futures, where they went negative and you had some retail investors that bought crude oil futures contracts there at negative, uh, not knowing what they're getting into and said, oh, I bought these contracts, they're negative, so I'll just hold on to them. What they didn't realize is that it's actually a contract, like a, like a definitive agreement. You hold that contract, you're going to have to accept 1,000 barrels of oil for each WTI crude oil futures contract because those contracts settle physically and a deal is a deal. You just can't say, actually, ah, forget about that contract. I'm I'm just going to ignore it. Hope that it goes away. Well, no, you're going to get sued and you're going to be forced to close with respect to the physical oil delivery. You do have to accept those a thousand barrels per oil delivered and there's really nothing you can do about it. With respect to a definitive acquisition agreement, you are going to have to close the deal unless certain conditions aren't satisfied with respect to force scout. They have attained shareholder approval. They have attained all regulatory approval. Company guidance indicated they expect it to close on May 18th. So I think this deal is set to close on the terms, 33 bucks a share, which represented a 29.7% premium. The other thing to consider is Advent International is a large, reputable private equity firm. They manage $56.6 billion in assets under management. If a buyer just tries to walk away, that is exceptionally bad for their reputation. And good luck getting a deal done after that, you know, especially in a, in a good environment when your business model is exclusively 
buying companies, it's kind of hard hard to uh, buy a company in the future when your reputation is in shambles. Nonetheless, I mean, Forescope Technologies is is a software company, and it's not like it's a it's an airline business or a, a restaurant company that is completely shut down. I mean, software companies are still doing pretty decently in this environment. And if you look at Four uh, Scouts comps, they seem to be holding up. So that's really all I all I had to say on this uh, short seller report on Forescout. I think it's a good trade to fade it. Hence, we are long Forescout stock. We expect it to close and we expect a good annualized return on that deal. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, just to s- summarize as well, some of uh, Spurs Point's other's main, uh, their main thesis is the main argument is that Forescout breached some of their reps and warranties in the merger agreement by not sharing with the buyer their most pessimistic financial forecasts uh, that they produced internally. And really, you know, I'm I'm not a lawyer, but so that really is would be for the courts to decide if advent showed any willingness to terminate which they have not yeah that's Um, that's another major issue i mean you can make this argument for a lot of other deals we saw it on cineplex uh you know which were long you did see a short seller come out and then uh, the problem with cineplex is the acquirer that's in a world is in uh, a lot of trouble i mean they're having kind of solvency liquidity issues so yeah i mean that's a fair argument that there's some risk there the other one is kind of borg warner and uh, delphi technologies which we also have a position in and that one the the acquirer has actually come out and you know threatened on that deal and that elevates deal risk uh, certainly right and so you go into those deals knowing that they're problematic but in this one you haven't heard uh, anything negative from the acquirer. And for all we know, they are excited to close this transaction, right? Yeah. And I mean, strictly from Advent's side, there's just been nothing, no communication from their side, which is not uncommon um, with private equity firms. I know it was it was pointed out that that could be pessimistic, but I really wouldn't read into that as that is kind of normal course. But ultimately, if this did go to court in in a world where Advent did uh, decide that they wanted to try to back out of the deal and and this went to court, they would have to show that Forescout was intentionally misleading them. Now, because your because your projections don't come you know to fruition just because your projections are inaccurate, uh, that's not. That's not illegal. That's that that wouldn't be in breach of any uh, reps or warranties in the merger agreement. You'd have to show that Forescout was intentionally misleading the company in order to close a deal. Well, um, and the so buyers are highly reputable private equity firms here. That you know, it's the onus is on them to do due diligence, and they are professional investors, such that uh, you know that would not be uh, much of a defense saying that they did poor due diligence. Absolutely. And in terms of, you know, one of the other points made was that uh, Advent has a fiduciary duty to their own investors. Um, and so, you know, they must consider revising the purchase price lower was, I think, the direct quote. And absolutely, Advent should consider revising the purchase price lower. But I mean, that doesn't mean that uh, that Forescout has to agree to that. And also, uh, your fiduciary duty, uh, you know, as Advent has, uh, to their own investors, that does that is not, you know, overriding the duty by law of this contract. As you you'd given the good example of taking taking physical delivery of oil, our society is based on these contracts that you know you can't just walk out if on them if you have clo- 
cold feet. And as we have mentioned multiple times here, we're not saying that Advent is, is having any of these views. Um, that, that That's kind of just speculation on, on behalf of uh, some market participants. But in, in the end, I guess I would say that, you know, I would agree that uh, Advent potentially could be overpaying for, for Scout. But in the end, that doesn't really matter. Um, many well, deals going on right now that are likely to close are likely to be overpays. Uh, that well, really compared compared situation. to the current environment right now. But who knows, maybe in uh, a year, valuations have gone up or uh, businesses have performed exceptionally well and they could be worth a lot more. I mean, you can't make a major strategic decision like a buyout is typically seven to 10 years. You can't day trade them. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, the stock price could be lower tomorrow, but I always look at the example of BCE, which went through a, well, a supposed leverage buyout in which the buyers got out of in late 2008 on a technicality where they were supposed to take uh, BCE private in one of the largest leverage buyouts ever. Uh, the deal failed. A BCE dropped. They got out of the deal. The private equity firms were breathing a sigh of relief. However, you look at BCE, how they performed, that LBO would have been an unmitigated grand slam. They would have made billions of dollars. And I think now they probably deeply regret getting out of that deal because it would have been incredibly successful just based off BCE's share price. They would have probably compounded north of 20% annualized. So it's this difference of time frames looking on a daily or monthly market basis versus long-term value creation potential. And I should note, so far throughout this crisis, you haven't seen a private equity firm back out of, out of a public deal. We did have Blackstone recently close the Tallgrass Energy deal, which was highly, highly distressed in a super challenging market. You did also see Tom Abravo close their deal for Instructure, you know, CPPIB closing the Pattern Energy deal, uh, Digital Colony and Zayo. There are some outstanding uh, LBOs in addition to Advent. And so we obviously continue to monitor them. But uh, those, I mean, all seem set to close. So it will be interesting to watch this one. In summary, on this Force Scout deal, we do believe that uh, the short sale report lacks merit. But, you know, they're just kind of trying to rattle investors' cages, get the share price down such that they can cover. However, long should remain uh, invested here. And we believe that it will close. And that's our opinion. That kind of summarizes it for our uh, latest episode here hope you guys enjoyed it if you did please check out more at absolutereturnpodcast.com you should give us a follow on twitter you my handle is at julian klamachko k-l-y-m-o-c-h-k-o mike what's uh, where can they find you on twitter and mine is m underscore kesslering that's k-e-s-s-l-e-r-i-n-g Wish you all the best in your investing, trading, and speculating this week. And until next week, we'll chat with you soon. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast 
advised are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.